Joining me in the Late Show Library is Peter Fitzsimon, so who's the author of an enormous amount of books. We almost have a, a wing in the uh, Late Show Library with his name on it. Thanks for joining me, Pete. I want to talk to you about your, your writing and your book, so I uh, appreciate your time. Good to be with you, Kevin. I'm on my way to the airport, but I always make time for Melbourne Radio with Kevin. <laughs> Good to hear. Uh, the, the, the book writing, uh, was it just a natural evolution out of, uh, out of having a newspaper column? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it might have been a natural evolution from having a father that was sort of a storyteller. But yep. Dad told his stories a lot in poetry. I, I, I was sort of raised on the poetry of Banjo Patterson. So Dad served in the Second World War and would have many late nights in North Africa on guard duty by the ACAC guns and anti-aircraft guns. And to keep his mind busy, he would memorise a lot of Rudyard Kipling and Banjo Patterson. And then when him, him, he and Mum who also served in the Second World War, came back to Australia, got 60 acres just north of Sydney, raised oranges, lemons, tomatoes and children. And to keep those children busy with their minds as we packed tomatoes, late on a summer evening, he'd he'd teach us the poetry and we'd have to learn every day then a, a new stand, a movement at the station for the word had passed around for the cult from old <laughs> regret that got away. You know, and so the next night you'd have to do another verse. So, and somehow, obviously, I don't compare myself to Banjo Patterson, for Christ's sake. But what I do say is that the rhythm of Australian storytelling somehow or other got into my bones. And, and Dad, I credit Dad with that. And then, so I started, then I got into the Wallabies albeit for a brief time, but certainly I went on a lot of rugby tours. And what do you do on rugby tours, apart from running to other people from all over the world? You sit up the back of the bus, you sit in front of the fire, and you tell stories. You listen to stories, and you tell stories. And the rugby culture uh, is a very, very good for sort of, I guess, developing storytelling. And then newspaper columns, you know, you tell the odd anecdote. And then I sort of expanded into longer-form storytelling. So you could have easily been the, the type of kid that rejected that completely and not had anything to do with it. Why, why do you think you actually embraced it? No, because it's, it's funny. It's again, that's an interesting question. But I've got, I mentioned I've got six older brothers and sisters, one deceased, but all of my <laughs> brothers and sisters, one of, all of my brothers and sisters understand that Dad taught them about, Dad taught us all about horticulture and about tomatoes and eucalyptus and God knows what. And they absorbed it all and I absorbed nothing. You know, like put a gun to my head and knowledge of farming and plant life and the seasons and all that. I'm vaguely aware that things grow in spring and have to be harvested in summer. Right. But I, I don't don't know the rest of it. And somehow or other, everything that Dad said to me about poetry, I absolutely remember and I remember his aphorisms and and the way he spoke, and somehow or other, I just—I was a sponge for all of that stuff. So, where do you? Where does it go from being? And, and obviously, storytelling is the answer to this. But you started off, uh, I guess, in the in the usual manner of doing uh, doing books about uh, things that you knew really well, and then you started to kind yeah. of expand into into areas where you wanted to tell a story that you obviously felt was important when you got into the Gallipoli stuff and all those. Exactly things. that. Yeah, exactly that, Kevin. So I. The, you know, I did. I started at the Sydney Morning Herald. I couldn't say exactly when I was first published, but I think it was the 30th of May, 1986. It was a Thursday, um, top of the back page of, or maybe it was a Friday. It was the 30th of May, top of the back page of the Herald. And my life changed from that moment on. And I'm, you know, 33 years down the track. I'd like to get to 40 if <laughs> if it all works out. Yeah. But then I did. The first couple of books were uh, collected work. And like one, the second one was Little Theories of Life. And I'll just float one by you. 
a theory, this, here's a theory of life. The dominant partner in any sexual relationship will sleep on the side of the bed closest to the door. And right now, I reckon about 75% of your listeners will be nodding their head, working it out, saying, geez, I reckon, I reckon he's right. And there will be 25% saying, no, that's not right. Well, I ask those 25%, maybe you're not the dominant partner, mate. Think about it. <laughs> and, and so the, the other one, but so then the third book was the breakthrough book, which was about the Wallabies. So the Wallabies won the World Cup in 1991 led by Nick Barr-Jones, my best friend who I played with for the previous 11 years. And I, so he, he was the star of the show. He's the only person who write my biography is fit and he'll be on 50% of the, of the taking, et cetera, et cetera. And so I focused on, I strutted around, I guess, for two months saying, you know, yeah, I'm writing Far jones biography and then it hit me, Christ almighty, I've got to write this. <laughs> How do you write a book about somebody? You know, what? Well, how do you write long form? And so that book, I sort of it sold extremely well, but to be to be fair to Nick, the Nick Far Jones comic book would have sold extremely well yeah. at that time. He was so he was so everywhere, and it was a good story to tell. I mean, he was a colourful man up to and including throwing a sand shoe at Alan Jones's head. Sadly, he missed, <laughs> but um, you know he was that kind of a colourful man, and it was a great story to tell of a Wallaby team that you know of a, of a kid from the, the, the Sutherland Shire in Sydney that didn't make, only made the second fifteen at at Newington College, who turns into this superstar of world rugby that leads the Wallabies to great victory. So you start out from a good story to tell. That, that story sold, that book sold three times more than the previous best-selling rugby book. So that, I guess, put me on the publishing map. And then I sort of expanded. I did uh, Kim Beasley biography, which was, Jesus, talk about out of my comfort zone. I mean, that was somewhere on the equator. Yeah. It was so, so far in the burning sun, I felt so much pressure and I knew so little about my subject. And after that, I did my first war book, Nancy Wake, The White Mouth. Yep. And that book, of all the books I do, like I've commercially driven, I want to sell books. I, I'm, in, I'm in the business of selling books. I want them to be great stories. That book is the purest I've ever done in the sense of I don't think it'll sell. Anyway, to my amazement and to the publisher's amazement, the book sold 200,000 copies. Wow. And that clue to me, to my publishers and to, I don't know, some the wider market or whatever, that there was a serious market for Australian books told in the Australian vernacular, effectively around the Australian campfire. Yep. <clears throat> what what attracts you to the, uh, uh, to I mean, the, the last one that you did, which is about a prison breakout, which is a, a really uh, involved kind of uh, trilogy of, of events that go on involving three different kind of almost uh, yeah. populations. Have, uh, have you had a chance to have a look at it yet? I, I've, had, help a I've had a little a brief look at it, I must admit. I haven't had a complete look at it. but uh, the, the actual... you're, you're a married man, aren't you, Kevin? Yes, I am. Uh, can I invite you respectfully after you finished it, to give it to your wife. And if you and your wife aren't both in tears by the last page of that book, I'll be stunned. That, yeah. that book, that story of Irish Republicans who were guilty of no more than what, what I'm guilty of as chair of the Australian Republic movement, which is to want Australia to be independent of Britain. They wanted the island to be independent of Britain, although they're suffering with 10,000 times more. We don't particularly suffer anything other than indignity. Ireland has been under the yoke of of England for of Britain for 700, 800 years. These Irish Republicans were thrown into Fremantle prison and 10 years after they were there, they smuggled a letter out to one of them who was in New York 
to who, who got away and said, get us out of here. And he did. And it's the most extraordinary yeah. prison breakout with the punchline that they all lived happily ever after. And yeah, the story, the story on the, the most staggering story is on the final page of the book, and you'll find it on page three twenty-one. <laughs> uh, writing stories about people who are alive is so different to writing stories about people who are dead. I mean, you talk about Nick Farr Jones, and you did John Eels and Steve War and, and and Les Darcy and people like that. Some, you know, Les obviously has passed yep. away. But uh, did you? Is it a difficult thing to 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 write a book about someone who's still around, who's sort of going? Well, hang on. Uh, what? It can be. It can be one of my biographical subjects will remain nameless. And I've done, you know, I think twelve living people. Um, I've done a couple of private biographies, but one of my one of my biographical subjects said to me, "I don't want this particular person to be in my book." And I said, "Well, you shouldn't have spent six years of your life living with that person, then, should you?" <laughs> <laughs> the, the point being that when you're doing somebody's life, if it's a significant story, then you, if not somebody agrees for me to do their life story. I always make clear, I'm not doing a brochure. You know, this is not a PR exercise. I'm having a look at your life. So if you sign on for me to do it, I, 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 I'll do the painting, you do the sitting up straight, and I'm going to have a look, I'm going to have a poke around in your life while I'm there. And there are some things that are deeply private. I, when I was living in France, the French have a concept of, if you ask a woman, for example, whether she like if you if you ask the woman what was her age or is she how long has she been going out with somebody she may say to you instead of that's none of your business she may say ça fait partie de mon jardin secret that is a part of my secret garden which is a beautiful way of oh, saying wow. isn't that beautiful yeah tell your wife that one like and everybody that. has a secret garden that's part of their life that they don't share with the world and so when you're a biographer occasionally you come across somebody. Jardin Secret, and what I do is, if it's a particularly privé garden that hasn't doesn't reflect on their wider public life, I close the gate on my way out and never talk about it again. There, you know, there, there are sort of secret parts of people's lives. Not me or you, Kevin. Of course, you, you and I are on the absolute oh, up and up. But absolutely. I'm talking about those other poor bastards with their secret garden. <laughs> and so, but, but beyond that, stuff that does reflect. I mean, here's an example. And I like I like Cheryl Kerno. You remember Cheryl Kerno, the leader of the Democrats who went to the Labor Party. Yep. So she, the, a biography was done of her. I can't remember who did it, but the, that it was left out that Gareth Evans, who was her, who was the po- political master of the Labor Party, that the the empresario that got her to switch from the Democrats, the leader of the Democrats, to the Labor Party. He was also her romantic partner for a brief time. Now, that's none of my business, none of your business. But if you're going to put out a biography of the person's life and you neglect to mention that key fact, for me, that is that is a part. If you're going to say this is her life story, I respectfully submit that that is a key detail that you can't leave out because it's significant in terms of what happens. I mean, it's a delicate area, and I repeat, I like Cheryl Turner, but I have a difference of opinion with her on that, which I present, and I really admire Gareth Evans, by the way, but I, I respectfully submit that that's an example where if you're going to go through the exercise of a biography, well, that is a key detail that should have been put in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who writes the Peter Fitzsimons biography when that gets done? And, uh, and, is, there, and is there a secret garden? 
no, 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 no. <laughs> Certainly not when I care to share with you and the late night racing audience. <laughs> Look, I did, I did do one of uh, childhood memories. Yeah. Which was growing up on the farm at Beechridge called The Simpler Time. And it was basically less a biography or a memoir of me, but it was a memoir of 1960s Australia. Yep. Growing up in rural Australia, what of the life it was, it was a simpler time. It was a fabulous time. And I feel, you know, I did, in fact, it came up the other day on Twitter. There, you know, that there was a fellow, Peter Fox, who was the detective who first went to the Royal Commission. Who He was the one that basically turned evidence against, about the Catholic, Catholic cover-up in the Hunter Valley. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's put out a book which, you know, lightly credits me in saying that I, I went up to speak at the Newcastle Workers Club in three or four years ago, and I was on the stage, seven people, six, seven people, there were eight of us, seven of them had been shockingly sexually abused in various Catholic orphanages and schools, etc. And I, I stood up at the end and said, look, you know, I've got to say, I, I, li- I listened to these appalling stories and realised more than ever how blessed I was. They, they say if you had a happy childhood, you remember the sun shining. If you had an unhappy childhood, you remember wet Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. For me, I, I only remember the sun shining. My parents were fantastic. My brothers and sisters were supportive. You know, I only had, I had a, I suffered a little bit of bullying. You know, well, a fair, fair bit of bullying in primary school, but it was crushed by my sister sitting on the bully in question. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, and and so my the, my contribution with Peter Fox was to say to this audience. You know, look, the Edmund Burke line, I've got no experience of sexual abuse in this manner, but I like the line from the great British parliamentarian Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. And, you know, for what it's worth, he said that that was what made him, you know, give the evidence which in, in the end led to the Royal Commission. And uh, But, but I, I don't, I, I might say very quickly, Joe McCarthy, who won the Walkley, she was the one that absolutely blew that whole thing wide open. I'm doing the Andrew Wally media lecture later this year, and one of the things I want to, you know, pay my dues to is journalists like Joe McCarthy, like Kate McClymont, who work for months, years on particular stories to get them up, to get them right. Um, and what a joy I found it to be in journalism. And I don't say, you know, like I, I, I make my contributions here and there, but I look at them and am in awe of their work down there in, in Melbourne. You'll know Louise Milligan, who's the who she's the one that again I think got the Walkley, or certainly got the Graham Perkins Journalism Award for her work on uh, on the Catholic Church, yeah, and particularly Cardinal Pell. Well, in fact, I don't think we say Cardinal Pell anymore, do we? Do we not say now George Arthur Pell? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Who do you? Who do you? Is there anyone you want to do a book about? I'd love to do. I was in London not long ago. I was passing by a gallery where my wife spotted it with the with the works the artistic works of Bob Dylan and I went in to talk to the guy and you know we're looking at a particular painting Bob did that I'd love to buy but too expensive but I through talking to this guy I said listen you know Bob Dylan for me is the Shakespeare of our time what a pity it was it is that 400 years ago somebody didn't sit down with Shakespeare and say who are you what are you about where did this extraordinary ability come from and I said I, I wrote a letter to Bob Dylan's agent saying, you know, look, I know this is a one in a thousand chance, but I'd love to sit with Bob Dylan. I'd love to do his biography. But failing that, I would love to sit with him for two days, talk to him, 
put it down on tape, or what the, whatever the modern version of tape is, <laughs> and send it to the Smithsonian Institute to be opened 150 years after his death, if you like. Yeah. But sometime, somewhere, somebody should sit down with Bob Dylan. He would be my dream subject if he would cooperate, if he'd fully say, and, and being Bob Dylan, I suspect he wouldn't. But anyway, that's my dream, seeing as you are. Yeah. And what about Australian stories? There's obviously still a minefield, uh, not a minefield, but still a gold mine mm-hmm. of, 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 of great Australian stories around for you to tell. I'm I'm a quarter of a mate of Hugh Jackman. Not a close friend by any means, but I, I know him and I've known him for a long time. And it always stuns me what a great story his is. He, he, um, in fact, my hit me on the bounty came because I was at his wonderful wife, Deborah Lee Finesse's, 60th birthday party, and I sat next to a great guy, Zygmunt Thornton's husband, Tom Burstall, and who got into my ear between the entree and the main course and into dessert about what a great story Mutiny on the Bounty was. And that was what led to that. But I think that Hugh Jackman, um, I just think that would be a great story, which would be an international seller. And I, do, I would like to do a book that would track the market. And I've got to finish by asking you, how do you think we'll go in the in the Rugby World Cup? I think we'll get to the semis and then probably get smacked. <laughs> smacked and sent home will be the most likely result. Succinctly, Good on you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time. Bye.